Welcome back, everyone, to this episode of Breakthroughs with Brie, where we are having breakthroughs on our personal and spiritual development journeys, all in pursuit of our most abundant, free, blissful lives. My name is Brie. I'm an Akashic Records channeler. I'm an energy healer. I'm an astrologer. I'm a tarot reader, and I'm also a soul alignment and healing coach. Many fun things, and if you're curious more about the work that I do or potentially working with me, I highly recommend you visiting my website, healingwithbree.net, so that you can find out what I got available. On today's episode, I am so excited because this episode has been months in the making, and when I say months, I truly mean months. This is an episode and a topic that I have been so excited to talk about for a really long time, but like was waiting for kind of like the moment, you know, and today is the moment. It's so important. I feel like this topic is something that is shifting in like the collective right now. I think this is a really big area that is um, newer, that is shifting, like, like literally. <laughs> and I just have to say, for those of you who really want to tap into like the next level of your personal power, you really want to like fully claim your ability to create the life that you want, the experience that you want, to be able to move through things and let things go and like, again, create experiences like really cool, big miracle kind of life stuff. Like this is the episode to listen to because today we're talking about victim consciousness. And you would think like, oh, wait, that's backwards breed. No, I promise you it's not. I promise you it's not. And I'm so excited um, to talk to you more about it. So let's get into the episode. All right, everybody. I am so happy that to go through this topic, to examine the idea of victim consciousness, we have a guest that is coming back to join us. Today, we are welcoming back LMFT and trauma healing coach Megan Susevich back on the podcast. Welcome Hello. back, Megan. <laughs> it's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you. When you oh um, invited me to speak upon this topic, it, it resonated in my bones. Um, so thank you very much for having me back. Are you kidding me? Like uh, to get to nerd out with you about this on a podcast, like <laughs> literally <laughs> what my dreams are made of, you know? <laughs> Mine too. Mine too. <laughs> uh, and just like a fun behind the scenes for everybody, Megan and I were initially brainstorming about doing an episode on boundaries, which we are still happy to do. Maybe we'll do a little like mini bonus episode around the holidays or something like who knows. It's, it's not that that won't happen, but when we were talking, we realized that this conversation needed to come before at least our take on boundaries, that this is like fundamental, foundational for any kind of conversation about boundaries. And we realized that we both feel so passionately about this topic that it would just be a literal joy to talk about it. Um, for anybody who this is your first time hearing Megan's wonderful voice on this podcast with me, I highly recommend you going back to episode seven to hear a little bit about her background and her journey with all of my guests. The first time that they come on, I ask like, you know, what, it, like, what's your story? Like what brought you into the work that you're in? And Megan has a wonderful story of like starting in more like clinical and traditional therapy, having a lot of really cool experiences there, but but realizing that there was something missing in that, there was something that just didn't feel like it was totally soul aligned or that felt totally true in what she was experiencing and seeing in people's healing journeys. And she started to integrate in more 
um, somatic elements, more holistic elements, more intuitive elements, focusing a lot on the subconscious mind and that in its role in our experience and healing and is shifting into modalities that actually embody and rely on the wisdom of those um, modalities. And it's a fabulous story. So again, I would highly recommend if you haven't heard, go back to episode seven, even just to listen to that part, even though episode seven is also a great episode. Um, because yeah, your story is like one of my favorites, Megan. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. It has been a journey and for those who resonate with it. Um, I hope you take away whatever nuggets you take away. Do you feel like I like accurately summarized a little bit? Absolutely. Of okay. You said that beautifully. <laughs> I'm like, I don't truly, I don't think you could have put better words to it. And especially with some transitions that are coming down the line, I think everything you articulated is just spot on. You're like writing it down for your own little I know. I'm like, mm-hmm. like, I gotta go hey. back in. <laughs> Origin you can story. clip that Come for back me. To this podcast later. <laughs> Oh my God. I love it. Um, okay. The one thing that I will have us run through is just like the quick about shoes. Cause that's always mm-hmm. fun to kind of refresh ourselves. So if you want to refresh yeah. us, your astrology, your sun, moon and rising, your human design. And if there's any other fun things that you know, or off yep. the top of your head. So sun is Gemini. My moon is in Libra. Um, I have a Leo rising the, uh, human design. I am a, um, manifest generator and I'm really learning what that means as I take breaks from the things I'm creating to (laughs) regenerate in order to manifest them um you established your Slytherin which we love and I'm still I was thinking about that the other day I'm like I'm still Slytherin the snake energy (laughs) is uh very potent to me and there's just something about journeying into the underworld that I really really love Love it. Love it. And then um, I'd also, I'm also incorporating an audience. You're with me on this. I'm trying to be better about incorporating the pronouns in too, because I'd like to really invite guests where we don't want to be assuming anybody's gender identity, you know? So Megan, I'd like for you to take the opportunity to share. What are your pronouns? Yeah. She, her. Wonderful. We got a she, her on today. Okay, cool. Um, So... <laughs> I feel like what could be a good way to sort of transition us into the topic before we like fully dive in, um, maybe you just sharing like a little tiny bit about why this topic is something that you feel so passionately about, just like as a little teaser before we really jump in to the episode and to the meat of it all. So for me, this, this terminology, um, It's appeared in various ways, I'd say, over the course of the last year or two, but I really feel like my journey in creating the life professional experiences, just as I move through my spiritual journey, it was something that I really needed to look at at one point, because when we really dive into the specific energetics of the paradigm, when you want to create the life that you want to live, it requires a level of ownership, not just responsibility, but this understanding that something is a part of you. And because it is a part of you, you are going to give it that love. And so when we dive into looking at parts of ourselves that maybe still operate in this capacity, there is no shame in it. It is simply a knowing that this part's agenda when it was formed is not um, 
walking the same path that you want to at the moment. And so seeing it in that capacity, loving it, doing whatever work needs to be done around it really gives you that agency back to take that ownership to create what is yours. I love it. Okay, let's like, let's break this down a little bit. Example, real life. Um, This summer, I took the leap, took the jump to run my business full time and leave my corporate job. Um, And of course, this has come with a lot of learning adjustments, blah, 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 blah. Um, There was a moment in time where I was feeling really, really stressed out specifically about money. There was a certain level of money that I wanted to bring in, but there was also a certain level of money that I was really feeling like I needed to bring in, aka paying bills, you know, whatever is like the minimum. And then there's like the ideal. And even coming up to the minimum was something that was feeling like a struggle. And I was like, you know, the lowest that I'd been in my savings in years, um, you know, at a place even like with my checking that like I wasn't like that was really triggering me. Right. And um, even what you had said before, like getting your needs met, right? Like I was feeling the need to have a like different level of income. I was feeling like the need of wanting to feel more comfort or safety or security that, you know, I was imagining that money was going to give me, which is a whole nother topic, whole nother thing. But like, I was putting me really in this place of being like stressed the the freak out. Okay. I had this moment where like, I I sort of like catastrophized the whole thing, like made this like trigger this moment, like this whole catastrophe, which is like a thing that can happen. Right. And I was like, well, like, is this, am I even doing the right thing? Like, am I even in the right fields? Like, am I even doing the right kind of job? Because like, you know, it should be coming in more. Like, why isn't it happening? Like, why isn't it happening? Like, I've been trying so hard to do all the things that I feel like are the right thing. Like, why isn't it happening? Right. And, um, and in that moment, not in that moment, a little bit after that moment, to be fair, just like in the fields for a minute, a little bit after that moment, um, I was able to work with somebody who's very compassionately able to offer, like, do you think that like, maybe you're victimizing yourself a little bit that like somehow like the universe isn't letting this work out for you or something, you know, like mm-hmm. that somehow there's this greater force that's like preventing you from seeing success in this business that you want to see. Like when you asking, like, why is that like that kind of like implies that there must be some other reason external from you, like as to why, you know what I mean? And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, wow. Like, I didn't even think about it like that. You know, I didn't even realize. And as I let that really sink in. I realized that there was a part of me who thought that there was some, that there was some power in the world that was stronger at creating my reality than I was, Mm. that there was some other element, some force that maybe on some level, like was not trying to act in my benefit or something like that. Right. Like that's really Mm -hmm. what that implies. If you think that, you know, that there's something keeping me from the things that I want or like holding them back for me or something right mm-hmm. that like I that it wasn't a matter of like me getting them it's like it wouldn't give them to me you know like that that was the kind of <laughs> that was yeah. the kind of way that I was thinking about it and as soon as I saw that I was like no of course not like from what I have learned about all of this stuff right and what feels true to me is that there is not a single factor, there's not a single force that is more influential over the kind of life that I'm having and that I'm experiencing than I am. 
than my mm -hmm. own choice and my own willpower for what I want to be. Now, there might be things that I'm unconscious of that make me maybe a little bit more like porous or like open to be, you know, kind of like influenced by things coming around. But like when I decide something's going to happen, when my will is like a fuel tank that decides this is happening, like there's nothing more like more influential to make that happen or to affect that outcome than I, than me. Mm -hmm. Right. Absolutely. That was both the blessing and the curse. I was like, oh, it like threw off this illusion that like there was some other thing against me. Right. And it helped me step into all of the possibilities. It's like it opened this whole door of when you decide that it's going to happen. Instead of you saying, can this happen? Will it happen? You say, how can it happen? Right. Then it then it just becomes a matter of you figuring out how it becomes into reality and you co-creating that with the universe than it is you sitting back and saying, Oh, did I pick the right option? Like, is the universe going to give it to me today? You know, like it becomes mm -hmm. instead of this very passive role, it becomes the active role and it becomes a, like a faith and a belief in self that your own willpower actually does have the power to change and affect all of the things that you want. Right. Mm -hmm. So that was my moment. And that is basically what inspired this whole topic and the like desire or the need to um, talk about victim consciousness, because I really believe that until we start to notice where we have disempowered our own selves, it's going to be very difficult to create the things that we want because creating the life that we want is reliant on us being in our power and us making it so. And if we don't believe that we can make it so, like that is, that's the story. You've just said the story right now. You don't believe that you can make it so. I mm -hmm. I personally don't think that that's true. I don't believe that that's true. I don't believe that that is like our, uh, like what's meant for our existence. Mm -hmm. Like we, we are, do have the ability to literally create our reality. And in order to do that, we have to see where we are disempowering ourselves. We have to, like, we truly have yeah. to. So with that, yeah. <laughs> with that, we're gonna, we're gonna jump into our main segment about victim consciousness. <laughs> All right, everybody. So let's get into the good stuff. Victim consciousness. Um, I don't, in case there are some people listening that are totally new to this concept, it, it also could be considered like, like a victim mentality or like victimizing or martyring oneself, right? Like this is the sort of concept. This is a sort of energy. This is a sort of mindset that we're going to be talking about today, um, that we're going to be exposing a little bit um, so that we can see it, understand it, and also have the opportunity to choose something different if that's what you feel called towards, which I imagine you probably will when <laughs> you learn more about this. Um, okay, so the first thing that I feel like is really important to talk about to start to peel this apart is like the fundamentals of like what victim consciousness is. Um, as I've done more research into this, here are some of the things I've learned that the victim consciousness, it, it exists in a triangle, like a literal triangle, a triangulation, a dynamic where um, there are three parts that have to be present that are always present 
um, and victim consciousness. One is the victim, the person who's helpless, powerless against some other force in, in the triangulation, in the dynamic. Next would be the savior, the helper, the fixer, right? Who is the one that is able to see what's happening to the victim, the helpless person, and comes in and saves them from the forces that are more powerful than them or who are victimizing them or whatever it might be. And then the third in the dynamic is the villain. There are other words for this, Megan, and for some reason they're like slipping my mind. Yeah, I've seen um, like perpetrator or I'll often kind of refer to it as the thing that's happening, mm -hmm. right? There is this external thing that is present that mm -hmm. um, is inflicting some type of, generally speaking, negative experience that is creating the helplessness and helplessness yeah. or um, maybe not creating it, but contributing to it, I will say as well. Yeah. The thing that's happening to you, whether it's a person or a thing, you know, like if you're the victim in mm -hmm. that, in that literal triangle, which I could even use my whiteboard to, you know, maybe at some point I'll actually utilize the whiteboard behind me for people that are like watching on video, <laughs> um, full on like classroom with Brie, you know, um, but anyway, <laughs> um, okay. So this is the triangle. A victim consciousness. Um, I watched a video by Teal Swan who actually did like a beautiful job of really going into the depth. She technically it was a victim control dynamic was her video about it, but it was brilliant. So if you want to like learn more about the details, like full on details, I'd look into it. But just for the sake of starting to understand the general concept, um, this is what we're starting with. What's important to know about this triangulation is that it like all exists with each other. If you have named a person as the villain or the perpetrator, or if you've named somebody as the savior, or if you've named somebody as the helpless person, then you have conjured up, you have stepped right into <laughs> the victim consciousness triangle, because one of these cannot exist without the other ones. Um, it's like inherent to the makeup of it all. Um, because when we assume like when somebody is in the role of a helpless person, um, that basically like situates them, that they need somebody else or something else to protect them. They need somebody else to enact some other kind of outcome that they themselves feel like they cannot enact, which creates mm -hmm. the need and the role of some sort of savior person. And if there is a helpless person in this triangle, that also means that there is some force that they feel like they cannot influence or impact that is victimizing them in some way. That's some like negative thing that like, again, is happening to them. They can't do anything to change, you know, like, like there would have to be some sort of perpetrator, again, whether a person or a situation that would even create the feeling of helplessness or victimization in the first place. So like even on mm -hmm. like a like a, like a logic level, <laughs> like all three, if one exists, all three exist. Um, and that's something that's really important to realize as we start to talk about like this, the prevalence of this kind of perspective um, that a lot of us have been conditioned to jump right on into like a pool. Mm -hmm. We just dive right on into this kind of <laughs> dynamic. Um, the other thing that I will say, again, in watching that video by Teal Swan, which I found was so fascinating, 
was that she was saying that actually the energy of the savior and the perpetrator um, or the villain and the hero and think about all the villain and hero movies that we watch too, right? Like that mm-hmm. being a whole other place where this, where this is kind of socialized into us, which we're going to talk more about, right? That really the only difference between a villain and a hero is our projection of morality onto them. It's like our own judgment of saying, for whatever reason, we think the actions that you're taking against another person or on another person's behalf is good versus Mm -hmm. the villain, the actions that you're taking against other people or on another person's behalf is somehow bad. Like we've assigned one to be moral than the other, but really if you take morality out of it, if all actions were neutral, they're acting pretty much in the same way. Like they're the same, they're the same energy. We've just, we've just, again, labeled one or the other. Um, That was the Mm -hmm. other thing that I find absolutely fascinating. If like, we look back at this dynamic, just from like a bird's eye view. Mm -hmm. Megan, tell me your thoughts as we get started. Tell me your thoughts about this triangle. So I would actually like to comment on the morality piece. Um, Something that you mentioned with the the right, wrong, good, bad, right? We, we tend to live in a world of polarity, right? And so in the dynamic, I think we have historically been brought up to want to identify, right? That moral compass is going to be something that leads us to actions that create part of our identity. So this triangle, this triangle is not just a engagement of a thought process. It is literally a, um, it trickles into how you live your life, how you interact with other people, the entire paradigm framework of which you experience life as a whole. So yeah, I just wanted to, to bring it back to that because I think on the surface, right, it can be presented as this like, oh, well, just don't think like this or just don't do this or don't be in that mindset, right? Think positive. And it's so much more than that. It's so much more than that. Yes, it really is. Um, Megan and I did like a little bit of prep for this podcast and I actually channeled into the Akashic Records and the Lords of the Akashic Records for their two cents on this. And it was absolutely fascinating what came through. And I want to share a little bit of it with you. So when we were asking the Lords of the Akashic Records, the keepers to share with us what information they could about this victim consciousness like thing that exists with us humans, you know, Um, this is, this is what they said. First of all, um, this is kind of a human thing. And this was a human thing that um, was created to cope with human existence, right? Like our, like the fact that our ego would come up with this dynamic um, is a way to cope with situations in which we felt helpless, period, period. And even if we think about like our development as a human, right? Like there are years of our life where we do not have like physically the ability to um, get the things that we need to for ourselves. Like Mm -hmm. we do not have the power to enact, influence all parts of our experience. Like when we're infants, we can't change ourselves. We can't feed ourselves when we're children. We can't like 
effectively provide for ourselves physically, emotionally, mentally, right? Like there are like actual periods of our life that are formative where we are, we are in a sense helpless for a lot of things. We have to depend on other people. Like we don't have our, like the, the entirety of our power in our life, right? That's just, the, that's just the part of the human thing, you know, yeah. <laughs> that's just part of the experience. The other element of this that they, that they showed me is that it's also a way to try and understand like on a soul level, the very big difference between being on the other side and basically being a part of that ocean that is source energy where like, you know, without even a thought, you're kind of doing what you want to do. You're in a place you want to be in, like you're connected to the whole right? Like there's nothing that's like happening that like you don't get or that you don't want to happen or that you're not like, you know, like that, those kinds of experiences don't happen. Like when you're in the ocean of source on the other side, right? Mm -hmm. So kind of getting plopped into the human thing where for the first time you're feeling separate from source and you're trying, you're experiencing things, not in the middle of that ocean, that this victim consciousness, this, this, this um, perspective that's, was really just a way to help cope with and try to understand being separate from source in the first place. Because if you're really source energy, like you can make whatever you want to happen. Like it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. If we like, you know, think about it very esoterically or like, I guess more like very big picture, you know, mm -hmm. like source would be able to just like have a thought of what it wanted it to be. And then the situation would be that, you know, like, like that mm -hmm. level of power to create change reality right like our experience with that in a human body is very different so like our ability to navigate these experiences knowing that kind of resource but also being separate and like wait like again how do I cope in situations where it's not that like that or maybe it's not as easy as that or having to cope with the level of separateness that we do sort of have just a nature of being human that that's where this concept of like oh there must be something happening to me right mm -hmm. or there must be something greater than me because i'm not able to influence this right there must be something that's going to come save the day because i can't i can't make it happen like i can't mm -hmm. fix it myself you know and like that again that's where like this um like in very early on like that's where this kind of mentality was bred was out of a way to cope with all of that. Um, what were your thoughts when you heard that, Megan? <laughs> yeah, the when you were channeling, the pieces that came through were incredibly profound. And I think the thing that I would add on to what you just said is we come into this world relatively clean slates, right? So this is something, this is not something that um, I'm going to say you're like, instinctively born with right but you are watching this in the environment that you grow up in and just in that pursuance of getting needs met we go back to this right and we go back to this wrong right what works what doesn't work and we kind of start to categorize and classify and mimic right monkey see monkey do right we start to see how the people around us are getting their needs met most likely through this dynamic as well. And so there are things that we start to um, to copy because we see it getting needs met in a way, shape and form. Mm -hmm. The information that came through 
from the channeling again just absolutely profound because i don't feel like there has been any um anything that i have read that brings it back to a source energy piece that brings it back to the initial separation of your soul coming into this body and feeling that disconnect to start with mm -hmm. and i think that's a beautiful piece um because even as we speak to at some point right i know we're going over victim consciousness moving into that source consciousness and really looking at even just the understanding of source in itself right and how we can um not just embody that but when you go back to there's something you said when you were sharing your experience and you said it was like i found this treasure chest sitting right next to me mm -hmm. that treasure chest is literally sitting next to every single person we yeah. just don't see it until we see it. And yeah. so um, I think the thing that that came through the the loudest was this, it's a process. And when you know you're ready for an alternative perspective, you're going to know, right? Yeah. This isn't something that you need to um, beat yourself up to be in or expect 100% perfection. But I, I truly believe that when we know more, we do better. And so highlighting that even, you know, the treasure chest is an option there. Mm -hmm. You get to decide when you want to open it and how much of it you want. Yeah. Okay. Something that you said that I thought was so interesting, Megan, and like, I like saw a vision of it. I feel like the guides were like, here you go. Here's another piece of the puzzle is you, you were talking about getting your needs met. Yeah. And I feel like part of us being able to like consciously create our reality is also us deciding and like, how, like meeting our needs ourselves essentially mm -hmm. and how our history of what that looks like to get our needs met when we were younger and in childhood ends up being the dynamic that we assume with the universe later. If we have not consciously rewrote those stories, right? So if Absolutely. you had caregivers who just didn't meet your needs at all, then you might be superimposing that experience onto the universe saying, I'm not worthy of my needs getting met. The universe isn't going to meet my needs. If my caregivers who their job was to meet these needs, just like all together said, nope, not happening, right? Like whatever you took that to mean, whatever meaning you assigned that experience, like you superimpose onto the universe now mm -hmm. that like, it's just not going to meet your needs, right? Or if you had to exchange something with your caregivers in order to have needs met, if you had to perform, mm -hmm. if you had to be perfect, if you had to give, 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 give in order to get a breadcrumb, you would superimpose that same method of getting your needs met onto the universe, thinking that the universe isn't going to help co-create what you want with you mm -hmm. unless you're doing all of those things because that's how it looks with your caregivers, right? So if we want to think about like creating our reality is also like another version of getting our own needs met because our need yeah. for things like our desire for things like joy and safety and security, like, like what if, what is all of that if not like a soul level need that we have, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Um. So I think that there's a certain element to that. And frankly, I really feel like, like in the collective, the way that we have been socialized and the way that everything is kind of snowballed, especially in Western society, like everybody is in victim consciousness on some level in, in varying degrees, like everybody is. And there's a certain like purpose that that dynamic has served 
Um, mm -hmm. Even in parent-child dynamics, like if they themselves were the victim or they felt victimized in some way, and now they finally get to step into the role of the one with the power, right? They have to have somebody be the victim in order for them to be able to play another part in the triangle, you know? Mm -hmm. So like keeping a child in a dynamic of like, no, you are the sub subservient one in this dynamic. Like you're not the one who gets to have the power here. So they finally get to be in a different role in the triangle, right? Like there's like, sometimes there's a subconscious like purpose to uh, enforcing and continuing yeah. that dynamic moving forward. So, uh, so, and I just explained that to say like, of course it continues to be prevalent. Of course there are places hiding in the subconscious mind where mm -hmm. we don't even realize that we're engaging in victim consciousness. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and even to just start with family unit, like I'm going to nerd out and I'm going to say anybody listening to this episode, pull up Brock and Brenner's ecological model, because he does a beautiful job, in my opinion, of showcasing how the various levels of our interaction, whether it is our close family or society and um, things that are impacting the global community, right? Each thing has an aspect to our own development. And so if we were to look at just the family unit, right? You tend to have um, uh, what you were saying with this, this repeating of patterns, right? These, these shifts in dynamics unconsciously until you make what is unconscious conscious, it will continue to direct, right? Until you see it for the totality of what it is. And so with the world that we've historically lived in, in my opinion, this is how generational trauma also starts, right? You have experiences where individuals feel disconnected from other individuals, assume what they need to in order to get their needs met. And then that is going to impact your attachment with your child that then is going to impact how they perceive their children, right? And so there's this trickle down piece where um, it becomes so, so unconscious and also just so subtle, but it's something that you can trace back historically um, through your own lineage to some degree. Another piece I want to emphasize though, is we have this um, connection with mother, right? Whether it is the legitimate umbilical cord or the identity of her, right? If you are a new mom or you think back to when you had your children, you kind of, I don't want to say you lose your first year and a half of life, but you, you are always with that child because that child identifies themselves as you, yeah. you are one and our dad represents the other. Mm -hmm. So just from a foundational standpoint, beginning to, as you look at this, um, this pattern through the lineage, also look at how self is identified. Also look at how was I taught to relate to other? Because even in the bigger conversation of source, source can be self or source can be other. And we get to make that choice. Yeah. Oh, I think all of that is so fascinating. Um, and if this is one of your first times really hearing this concept, I think a really simple question you can come back to is like really observing your strategy for getting your needs met like honestly, right? And how many places you've unknowingly created a situation to where you can only get a need met if something externally happens for you. That is where we are disempowering ourselves. And that is where we are operating out of a victim consciousness. Because really, the truth is, 
all of the like actual deep needs like we can create and meet for ourselves even mm -hmm. if there is a certain external part of it or experience that we would like to have like we can still affect and influence like put ourselves in situations to be able to have those experiences right like the power is still our own like i think about um you know people that i love so much and and I deeply respect and I hear them struggle with things like if somebody else is upset, especially somebody close to me, like I can't be okay, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm upset, right? Like very deep sort of like codependent kind of models where like we can't have our own safety, like we can't have our own peace unless every single person around us is in that exact same state, right? Mm -hmm. Like that also puts us in a victim consciousness because like we are helpless to create what we want which in that situation might be peace or safety right or we do this a lot with money like money is neutral <laughs> like money is a neutral energy and in fact it wants to flow to support us in the things that we desire right mm -hmm. but in our culture like we and don't even get me started on like why the, why the mass is being in this dynamic benefits the dynamic that's going on but I'll just say that we victimize ourselves a lot to money like if money would just mm -hmm. come then I could finally be happy nope happiness is an inside job money is not giving you any emotional feeling yeah money is not affording you any internal experience think about all of the people who have oodles of money and are still miserable it doesn't automatically like flip a switch and all of a sudden you're happy no it's mm -hmm. an inside job and I'm telling you cultivating the feelings that you want to have that you imagine something like money will give you or that you imagine a relationship's going to give you. That's a whole mm -hmm. other area where we, where we project a lot of victim energy is that yeah. it, being in a relationship is what's going to make me feel less lonely. Mm -hmm. No, I promise you it will not. And if it mm -hmm. does for a minute, that is a bandaid. That is like a superficial thing on that wound of loneliness or I'm finally going to feel settled. That's another, that's another iteration of codependency that your nervous system can't feel settled and safe without another human there, like for you to attach its dependency on, right? Mm -hmm. Or like yeah. the feelings of security or I can't feel happy or I can, you know, like, again, just observing, <laughs> yeah. like when we've stepped into that kind of consciousness and really what's happening there is like our ability or if we have a little like, um, uh, I don't know, like, I don't know why it's showing to, it to me, like a little like thing of jello that's like our full power to create the word. Like we've carved out this like little scoop full of jello and we've given it to this external thing. And like mm -hmm. we've disempowered ourselves, like we're not operating at full power, you know, like we're not yeah. using our 100% capacity to create what we want when we're carving out, like we're taking chunks of our own power out and giving mm -hmm. it to all of these external situations that don't have anything to do with how we actually feel. Do you know what I yeah. mean? Absolutely. Well, and as you were saying that, I want to, I want to highlight the opposite side of the paradigm because two visions actually just came into me as you were sharing that. It's not just the assumption of you assuming the role and assumption that assuming the role, not making the assumption um, that you are in necessarily the victim role, right? Because think about even from the lens of getting needs met, how often we create a situation or we create something to happen so that we can come in to be the hero, right? If I know I need to get my need met by this person, what do I have to do in order for them to say yes? 
right? Because I'm actually coming in as the hero in that capacity. And from mm. that lens, even though I'm in the hero, I am still perpetuating victim consciousness because I'm saying that person can't have something, that person can't do something, right? And so I'm stepping in to still engage in that dynamic from a totality standpoint. A hundred percent. I'm so happy you said that. Yes. Are engaging in what we've romanticized in this, which is the savior, right? Like we romanticize the role of the savior. We think that it's great in our society, right? Like just like mm -hmm. as a collective, we've like, <laughs> we've morally, socialized right? to like, really, you're right. You're so right. Morally in this polarity, binary focused human experience that we have, which I could do a whole episode on, which I feel like I will actually because it's all about survive survivability. It's it's not inherently true. Um, but like in our obsession with finding good and bad and aligning ourselves to good, like we love the we love the fixer, we love the savior, right? Mm -hmm. If you are in a putting yourself in a position, or if you are in the mindset, if you are in the belief that you have to do something for somebody else, mm -hmm. that you have to, that they need it from you, right? You are engaging in this belief that they are helpless, that they cannot affect it for themselves, that they are not capable, that for somehow you have to do this. Mm -hmm. And that is also it, that there's some other force they need protecting from or that they need saving from. Mm -hmm. That is that is equally <laughs> as impactful to the continuation of victim consciousness is also assuming a role of helplessness. Now, what yeah. I'll say is that if you feel like, oh, I'm only ever the savior, I'm not the victim, that's probably not true. Because what I've found is that people who feel this like urge, and I'm speaking from personal experience here, mm -hmm. and I'll just say this in the first sense, I observed that when I felt the urge to help fix or save a person from whatever thing I felt like I was helping fix or save them from, really mm -hmm. what I was doing is I was projecting the helpless part of myself. That helpless part of that part of me that felt like uh, that I was calling helpless wanted protection. It wanted somebody to come through and fix and affect the change. And instead of me directing that fabulous ability that I've, all of us have and that I have to do that to myself, I was projecting that onto other people to try and scratch the itch of the part of me that just wanted me to step into my power, that felt yeah. vulnerable, that really wanted a need to get met, that I wasn't effectively meeting for myself yet. And so instead of doing that internally, because I was not aware of that, the only reason that that urge got fueled in the first place for me to do it for other people was because I saw in them the part of me that still felt victimized and helpless. And I felt really uncomfortable about that. Like that triggered something in me and then would come the knee jerk reaction, the, the impulse, right? All, the yeah. almost compulsion to step into the dynamic as a savior. So I just say that, that because like I could have been the person that said like, no, I just find myself in the savior victor role, like, you know, over giving, like always meeting everybody else's needs, not meeting my own. Like, no, you're stepping into a savior role because you still have a part of your psyche that is being, um, how do we say, like put into the role of the victim. You have a part of mm -hmm. yourself that has needs. All of us do. And instead of learning how to relate to this part of yourself about how can we meet the needs, it becomes a, how can other things come meet my needs for me? Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It becomes a much more indirect, passive way 
of trying to have those needs met, which, yeah. which perpetuates and creates this whole victim dynamic instead of being able to come into the knowing that I mm -hmm. am the one as an adult now who is responsible for having my needs met. I'm the only one that can actually truly meet them. And yeah. I'm capable of meeting them. I'm so capable of meeting them. So can I get honest about what they are? And can I start to try and meet them directly instead of all of these like passive around yeah. the bush ways that my subconscious mind has orchestrated to help me get those needs met that probably are a little uncomfy, that probably are not creating the life circumstances that you can tell your soul really wants for you. Yeah. Even as you, you say that, there, there was a piece where I wanted to come back to kind of like the, we talked, right, the, the family unit and how these things become. And I would love to open that to even like um, a bigger societal, how we see this consciousness, even in systems that we interact with on a day to day to reinforce, because the subtleness of this dynamic is exactly that it is so subtle. Yeah. But when we begin to engage in places that reinforce it, that validate it, that say, yes, this thing is happening to you. Mm -hmm. Where does that leave us? Mm -hmm. Well, I think that that is a beautiful segue for us to talk about some of the places that this is so normalized, because really, I think the first step in like claiming your full power to meet your needs and create your reality is to start to be aware of the prevalence and the prevalence of where this dynamic is and like how many places are trying to perpetuate this, even if that's not necessarily their intention. Right. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> so, I mean, on a very base level, I mean, it's, it's a lot of places. We even just talked about like hero movies, like hero movies are fun. I'm not, you know, like, I'm not saying that victim consciousness is the enemy in this situation, because again, that would be engaging in the victim triangle in the first place. That's not what I'm saying. Right. But yeah. I am saying that being conscious of like how we take that information and interpret it is like where mm -hmm. we can really have a different kind of experience. But yes, that there is yeah. that there, like the concept that there would be somebody powerless mm -hmm. as an adult, I'm going to be clear as an adult, right? And with the exception of if like, you're actually physically imprisoned, and like being tortured or something like outside of that. And most in like the 95% experience of the humans like the thought that there would be somebody who was like helpless to their own experience that's silly it's not real it's not a thing you know and all of the places where we think that there might be or our brain tells us oh but what about these situations we've been conditioned to think about that through the lens of victim consciousness and we can just mm -hmm. start to ask ourselves why who who's really needing to be the savior in that dynamic how might it serve them for the other thing or person to be the villain yeah right like why does why would it serve those people if these people continue to look at themselves as helpless or powerless, right? Like if we just like step back and observe and like kind of question that a little bit, um, because it's very, very common, especially in Western society, I think really in most like modern societies, but especially Western society. Um, and then Megan, I know that you had one particular experience or like example that felt very um obvious to you once you saw it and was like a really yeah. formative place for you to observe the dynamic um do you want us to tell us a little bit about that yeah I'm happy to so being in the mental health field being trained in the mental health field um and even as a previous patient of the medical model um 
it is it is truly embedded in um, the totality of that system. So from a from a personal experience, and then I'll go into kind of the the professional piece and how I was trained. But there was um, an experience. I had some uh, childhood illnesses growing up that have um, contributed to other things. So essentially, when I was sixteen, I um, was diagnosed with hyperthyroidism and I was given radioactive iodine uh, and it essentially turned off my thyroid function. I was told that I was going to have to take levothyroxine every single day for the rest of my life. At that point in my life, I was fine with it up until this last February, maybe even January. Um, I had started speaking with, and she was more of a, I would say, holistic practitioner, but was speaking with her around what are my options? What are my choices? Like this cannot be the only thing that is available to me in any way, shape or form. She offered me one other option that was still pharmaceutical that I did not want to take. Um, and essentially it was in that moment where I had to make the choice of, I can continue to engage, right? I am the victim. This thing is happening to me. This medicine is my hero. I can continue in this or I can make the choice to empower myself to know more about what is available to me and what this experience could also be, right? And so in that, I found a number of natural ways to be able to work with my thyroid. I have been able to come off the medication. I've had more energy since. I actually lost almost like 15 pounds coming off of it. And that was one of the wow. things where I was like, why can't, you know, six months before these revelations, I'm like, why can't I lose this weight? Why can't I do this thing? What, what is happening? And if I actually sat down and looked at the side effects of the medication I was taking, all of those side effects were all things that I was having, but I was in this lens of, um, this is happening to me. This is just something right. And that victim consciousness piece, but being able to say, this isn't the way I want to do it anymore. And I'm going to empower myself to find other choices. Those other choices have brought me significant outcomes. And so when I sit with just my experience in that as a client, right, I think back to even my professional education. And, you know, as you were talking about um, getting your need met through even being a hero and just kind of like the trickle down pieces of the projection of your own, um, I forget the exact word used, but essentially wound, right? There yeah. is definitely a part of that because of the identity. And I think to even some of my first classes, uh, when I was going through my master's degree in counseling psychology to get my license, where professors twice, three times, uh, not quite three times my age, two and a half times my age, were literally saying, clients are coming to you for the answers. You need to know everything, right? So even from a standardized um uh, standardized isn't the correct word. I'm sorry. Even from a training standpoint, this started to become embedded because when I, a couple of years ago, saw the totality of the system and how both medical and mental health limits the capacity for true, true, true healing, mm -hmm. um, this was the dynamic that really exposed itself. Because yeah. if you really think about a diagnosis, this thing is happening to me. There is a fundamental misunderstanding, in my opinion, um, that we have in regards to our own body and in our own nature. Mm -hmm. The body only knows healing. It only knows how to move to the um, balance, balance, right? And it will always, mm -hmm. yes, yes. Now to say, 
you need to support that, right? If you are eating bonbons and, you know, drinking 12 beers a day, your body's going to do what it can to move into balance. But based on <laughs> what you are giving it, I feel a little overloaded. Level, <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's not going to go to the full place that it needs to. Yeah. Um, so I do want to make that, make that awareness. But I think even just through the lens of diagnosis, there's such a, um, a powerlessness that we get given that we are given essentially by practitioners right mm -hmm. this is what's wrong here is your fix and so we consistently engage in this dynamic um and truthfully i think that that is part of the reason that even though there are a number of assessments and um treatment options and i put those in quotes particularly for reasons we can go into in another episode but um, I think all of those things just contribute to this fundamental misunderstanding that we don't have power and there is something wrong with us and yeah. it's as good as it's going to get. Yeah. And that's just not the case. Yeah. And I've, and I've seen your posts on your own social media and in our own conversations about this, about how like the concept of pathologizing something, which is saying mm -hmm. that like something is inherently wrong or disease or like somehow working against your health, right? Mm -hmm. Like to say that there's something in you that is inherently like a pathology to fix, like requires mm -hmm. that there be something that fixes you and like puts that thing in the mm -hmm. area of the perpetrator, right? And puts you yourself as like helpless against the thing that's perpetrating you, right? Mm -hmm. Like even yeah. if we think about mental health, you know, the way that they talk about a lot of, um, you know, what they might call certain kinds of disorders or something, right? Like there are, there's a lot of research that now is showing that that's actually our body's way to of adapting to situations, to traumas, to mm -hmm. try and cope and accomplish safety right? Yeah. And that it's not some, and of course, there's probably an element of certain like epigenetics getting triggered and, you know, like things physiologically legitimately starting to change in the body mm -hmm. as a response, but still a response that our body made to cope with certain circumstances, right? Exactly. Um, yeah. And like to say that like, this is the thing that's happening to you. So insert you know, practitioners, pharmaceuticals or whatever, like this is your only way to combat, to fight against this thing that's fighting against you. Like, mm -hmm. that's like a really, um, that's a very, very, very interesting way to like propose somebody's health situation to them, you know, mm -hmm. like yeah. that just makes me like that. Uh, if you see me on video, I'm like, um, I'm like not quite scowling, but like I have like a furrowed brow about that. Like I don't know mm -hmm. that that's like you know. Um, again, especially if you if you're if you believe that your body is always trying to find health and healing, and that there's mm -hmm. an abundance of resources that mm -hmm. are available to help you find and support your body's health and healing, right? Yeah. Um, to to like put it specifically to frame it within. Like, there's nothing you're ever going to be able to do to change this. So therefore, here's like a band-aid in the meantime. Like, that just feels, mm -hmm. that feels like that probably doesn't serve the masses at the very least, right? And like okay. what you said, that limits the opportunity for true healing, because really true deep healing is is like getting back to a place where you feel like you're balanced and you're not fighting against this other force. But if you don't yeah. believe that's possible because you've been told that that's just an inherent part of who you are, of your identity, mm -hmm. then how yeah. are you ever really going to be able to find, to enact, to co-create with the universe that outcome where 
that's it's not a part of it's like not a driving part of your circumstance anymore do you know what I mean like it, mm -hmm. it like cuts off that whole thing and yeah. so I think that that's a brilliant that's a brilliant example and I would just say for anybody listening my personal my personal perspective on this is that I don't believe that like our medical institutions are inherently evil I don't believe our medical system is inherently evil I just don't because again, that would make them the villain and other people with this, you know, whatever, like I don't. What I will say is that any place that makes you feel like you don't have like authority and autonomy over your own experience in your own body, I I pause at, you know, <laughs> like I pause. Um, I think that there are so many medical interventions and medications that are can be legit magical in the way that they can support some really acute like medical issues. Um, I think that that's fabulous that we have that as an option. I think we're so lucky to have that as an option. I think that's marvelous. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think that that means that we have to completely um, like submit our whole sense of discernment like we have to like submit our own sense of judgment that we have to submit our choice and what happens for our body and just like more of the normal kind of things that our body has to that system just because there are some like really marvelous things that they can do so that's me saying we're not like at least I'm not saying I don't think Megan's saying that the whole thing is like you know <laughs> it's terrible you know, like it's evil, stay away from it all, but just use your discernment. And again, this is just for the sake of creating more awareness about places that is so subtle. Like you don't even yeah. realize that it's placing you in a position where you might not have, you might not believe that you can happen to your power to like create the outcome that you want. Mm -hmm. Um, A personal example of mine. So one of Megan's big ahas was the medical model and how even with the like, sake of diagnosing and pathologizing thing, it creates the perpetrator, the victim, and the savior. Um, my place where I observed this and learned this a lot was my religious upbringing. Mm -hmm. I'm caveat this the same way I did the medical system. I am not like anything that I'm going to say. I'm not saying that that's every single person that's religious. I'm speaking to my own personal experience and the things that I've observed, which I know is plentiful. <laughs> um, I think that there's a million different ways to interpret religious doctrine that could be more empowered than what I'm going to describe. But I've also experienced a lot of people interpreting it the way I'm going to describe and then like projecting and trying to reinforce that interpretation on people. So this mm -hmm. was, so this was my experience with it. Literally like the rhetoric that was shared in like the Christian circles that I grew up in and was very, very involved in through that younger period of my life is that you inherently are bad, born of sin, like whatever the, whatever terminology you heard or want to use and that you are helpless against the temptations of the devil or Satan, insert perpetrator right? Maybe even your own nature is the perpetrator in this scenario, which I think is so problematic, right? And the only way to be good is for something external from you, separate of you, to come in and save the day. Literally the Savior. Jesus Christ, the Savior. Without God, Jesus, the Savior, you are inherently bad. Period. 
you're not, I was not worthy before God. I was not good before God. Like, right. Like that's a lot of rhetoric I see people use. Mm -hmm. And it's because of the interpretation of a lot of the religious doctrine to like, literally like that is the frame of belief. And especially our Western, you know, culture in the U.S. is really built on a lot of the sort of Judeo-Christian ideology, right? It was the foundation mm -hmm. and has just snowballed since then. So it's in a lot of different places other than just the church. But like, that's another place that like tells you that your own power and your own goodness is not in you. It's something you have to look outside of you to, in order to have, which I just does not feel true to me. And I think that that really primes people for manipulation, frankly. It primes people to be manipulated and it primes mm -hmm. people um, to, again, like sort of submit their own judgment, their own discernment, because they're afraid of being called bad if they question anything. You know, like I said, I know that there's a lot of ways to interpret religious doctrine that don't have anything to do with that. Personally, if I was going to look at that material now, I would look at that and interpret that to mean like Jesus is in me. God is in me. Source is in me. Like I am source. Right. So instead of it being, I have to have a preacher baptize me and have to go to him consistently in order to have access to God or prove that I'm with God or be in a church in order to be good. Right. Like instead of looking at like that, how I would interpret that now is to be like, how can I connect with source energy in myself? which is really my soul, right? Like, how can I be more connected to my soul? How can I make decisions that are coming from a soul-led place? How mm -hmm. can I be connected to my heart? Like, that's where my power lies, right? Like, that's yeah. where the, all of the things I want to feel like lie in me. And it's in me. It's not some external thing. I'm not inherently bad. Again, a lot, of, a lot of things that I think are, could just be really scary about making people believe that about themselves. But like, the power is in me. Right. Mm -hmm. I think that there are a lot, I'm sure that there are a lot of churches that like empower people in that way. That was not my experience. And as I've continued to observe a lot of friends and acquaintances who are in these circles, what I literally see them write, what I see them say is the former of what I said is, mm -hmm. is that you are the victim in this situation that you are powerless against the nature of sin. You're powerless against the devil. It's always trying to come and snatch you. It's always trying to get you, you know, and that the only way that you can be safe from these evil things trying to get you all the time is if you align yourself to an institution and everything that it tells you mm -hmm. and you stay. Um, and if, you don't step outside of the lines of that institution that that is its protection that's it's saving you you know mm -hmm. so that's just like another model another example of like where I see that perspective that consciousness that triangulation um projected out to the masses and and honestly really normalized mm -hmm. yeah and Again, just going back to, I think something that we've, we've highlighted a lot, but like the subtleties of it, right? It's like when you are, we're not forcing anybody to um, jump off the bandwagon, <laughs> but in highlighting the truth of what is being engaged with, um, I think it gives a lot of permission for people to create that life that we were talking about, right? Because even as you, you were sharing that, the um, 
to make someone believe that they are inherently bad. Like just that idea, whether it's religion or anywhere else, right? Like I have seen so many new babies over the last couple of weeks. <laughs> and I'm just like, there is no inherent badness, right? Like we are, we are light and joy and love and all of that to start with. And so that is something that is always available to reclaim. All right, everybody. I know that we've like really talked a lot about this and looked at it from different angles and you're like, okay, wow, maybe this is a lot more prevalent than I realized it was. I thought it was other people who were just being the victim and like using that as a way to manipulate circumstances. But like, maybe I have positioned myself as being powerless, right? Like, what do I even do with that information? That is, that is the question, my friends. <laughs> so we want to spend the last um, little part of this episode talking about that, sort of like the what now. Um, the first thing is, and I, and I just scream this from the rooftops, there's no need to shame yourself or other people. There's just no need. Like there's a million reasons why this coping strategy was the one that you leaned on and why it's helped you. Like, it's okay. You know, really what it just becomes is a question of what do I want my choices to be motivated by? Because the intention I put out there is what comes back to me. So do I want my choices to be motivated by fear or like being sort of like in doubt if I'm really capable of enacting things? Um, is it from this dynamic where I'm creating a situation where there does have to be a savior who's imposing their own power and will to try, you know, like whatever, or do I want decisions to come be motivated from the place of me stepping into my power more and more every day, expanding into that from love, from self-belief, from like a soul vision for what you want. Right. And it's like, whenever you get more information that shows you where you might not be making a decision that's motivated from that heart-centered, soul-centered place, it's just an opportunity for you to be able to see that there is an option that might be more soul-centered for you and to learn more and more about what that looks like and to like learn more and more about what that would look like to choose that right? Um, so no shame in this game. All right. <laughs> um, okay. This is the other thing I want to share before Megan and I talk a little bit more about where we can spot this and what we might be able to do in those moments. I think it's really so important to observe everything that we can about these things when they come up. I, I like, I understand a lot of people's like impulse might be like, as soon as they see it, I have to fix it. But there are so much juicy stuff. There's so much good stuff that happens when you take a minute to really observe and like sort of analyze a little bit what you see when you have a new level of awakening or awareness about a certain dynamic in yourself. And this is why when you, let's just say journal about these places where you've you know, disempowered yourself a little bit or where you're stepping in as a savior or you're needing somebody else to step in as a savior or you're looking at somebody as like the bad guy in the situation. So all signals that we're in a little bit of that victim consciousness dynamic. Like we journal, maybe there's a pattern. Maybe there's a certain trigger that comes up and like certain, uh, there's a commonality between circumstances where we like, like a knee jerk reaction step into victim consciousness, 
right? Or maybe there's a certain need that we really want to get met. And whenever that need starts to kind of get come up, whenever it's related, that's when we really employ this technique, this coping strategy of the victim dynamic to try and get it met, right? Maybe we're actually able to make a connection between the way we're relating to the universe and the world around us to something that we experienced with a parent or caregiver. We're able to say, oh, I remember having to do this song and dance with my caregiver. I remember that this was the outcome. I remember that this is how I felt about it. This is what I assumed that it meant with my child brain. And now I'm like reflecting that same belief. I'm projecting that all onto the universe. Like, I don't believe that anymore. I don't think that's true. Right. Like that is all so important. Like it's more than just try not to be a victim. Like that's, that's really not what we're saying. <laughs> what we're saying is that creating awareness of where we might be disempowering ourselves is giving us so much information about where we have healing. And basically like, it's like the key to us stepping into our power is to understand where we are disempowering ourselves, right? Like it's the key, it's the golden key to the door. So don't just throw out the key because you're like trying to get away from something you've labeled as bad. We're not saying it's bad. In fact, I believe that it's almost like a signpost trying to guide you to your power, if you would look at it as such, right? Because mm -hmm. it's telling you exactly what needs to get addressed and what needs to get massaged a little bit in order for you to open up the road, open up the door to fully channel in your power. You know what I'm saying? So, mm -hmm. um, so awareness, 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 observing. On that note, um, another thing that I think we can observe is what exactly like we're trying to avoid or what we've labeled as bad in the first place that either we become a victim to or we're trying to save people from? Like what is the commonality in the bad guy? Where we label things, where we become in this like binary way of thinking, right? This polar way of thinking can be really important. Um, and a thing that I've observed is that a place that we do this a lot is whenever there is pain or sadness mm -hmm. or anguish involved. I think as a society, we have labeled pain, anguish, sadness as bad to be avoided mm -hmm. at all costs, a signal that something is wrong. And because we've positioned that as the bad guy, we are so quick to try and avoid it. We are so quick to try and fix any problem that elicits those feelings in us. We are so quick to try and prevent anybody that we care about from ever experiencing pain or difficulty or anguish, right? Because we consider mm -hmm. it a bad thing. I think that that's something to observe because, and again, I could do a whole other episode about this. I personally am not of the belief from all of the things I've had the honor of channeling, that pain and anguish are bad at all. In fact, I think that they are beautiful, important, purposeful parts of this human experience that mm -hmm. are the avenue to expanding into love and joy and peace and confidence. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's not until we experience sort of like the flip side, the shadow side of something that we can even understand the quote unquote light side of it enough to expand into it. Like how would, how would I have ever known, you know, <laughs> this episode will come out after the episode where I explain about my miscarriage experience. Right. And a lot of the spiritual lessons that I learned in that, 
like how I don't know how I would have ever learned some of those lessons to like consciously be able to understand them to physically be able to know what those feelings were like without some of the intense pain and difficulty of that experience like that experience offered me the opportunity mm -hmm. to expand into more love right so I just I, I just want to point this out because as we're looking to step back into our power we also have to observe like where we're labeling something as the bad guy or something to avoid. And I just want to make that offering to you that maybe pain is not the worst thing that can happen to a person. Maybe sadness is not something that altogether has to be avoided. Maybe anguish is not the enemy, right? Like maybe those are important parts of a person's journey that should be respected and honored as such. And if we see that, maybe we're not so quick to avoid it in our own journey and we can let other people journey through theirs and trust that they're capable, trust that they have the power, trust that they have the support from the universe to navigate those times and that we don't have to come in and save the day. There's a difference between supporting somebody, especially if, you know, in a healthy way and mm -hmm. like actually coming in to save the day. So that's just mm -hmm. like another element of that that I just wanted to speak to as we start to talk about okay the now what with the victim consciousness there was a download I got a couple months ago um this very beautiful feminine voice came in clear as day and essentially said pain is where we find our grit it's where we find our determination our joy our courage our bravery our strength and when we really allow these um, challenging or unpleasant emotions, experiences to be portals and catalysts for our growth, when a caterpillar becomes a butterfly, it literally turns into a pile of goo and it's cocoon. Mm -hmm. Like it's not this like just beautiful transformation that happens, right? <laughs> There's a lot of things like it literally becomes goo. Yeah. That um, when we allow that portal to uh, birth us anew, mm -hmm. we will find all of those things because it requires our strength to be tapped into. If everything is just pure joy and bliss and ease, where do I find those things? And I'm going to tell you what, if your soul, all it wanted to experience was joy and bliss and ease, if that was your purpose, you would have stayed in the ocean of source. You would not have come to be human. Like part of yeah. your path was to experience all of the messiness of being a human too. Like you're not like your goal of being like a soul aligned person is not to avoid those things. It's to be in them yeah. mindfully and consciously and come back yeah. to love after every single time because it's expanding you. It's helping you. Okay. So relating to some of our difficulty a little bit different. Um, is one of our biggest pointers and stepping back into your power and maybe starting to release this coping mechanism of victim consciousness. What are some other pointers that you would give people, Megan, as they're starting yeah. to like become aware of this pattern of themselves? When you look at the dimensions of the pattern in your day-to-day -day experience, there is a a knowing piece of us when we operate in that capacity it can feel good to make something good or bad and then us make choices from there right so my invitation would be to consider 
what it is you are moving towards. What is it that you are aspiring to have, do, be, connect with, et cetera, right? And ask yourself without assigning anybody good, bad, et cetera, we, we take the morality piece completely out of it. What choice is available for you in that next space without putting the individuals or situations that you are engaging with into the paradigm? Mm, I love that. Yeah, for me, that that feels a lot like not will it happen or can it happen, but how can I make it happen, right? Like posing mm-hmm. that question out to your guides in the universe, yeah. right? Like if you believed that you could really co-create with the universe to enact that reality to be so, like what would that look like? At, like ask for the inspiration, ask for the guidance so that you can start to learn what that looks like and just observe all the places where you've maybe just accepted that it can't happen or you're believing that there's something preventing you, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's not really true, but that doesn't mean that there's not wisdom in that story you're telling yourself. So my other piece of the information would be to learn from the stories that you're starting to see in yourself. All the times that you're telling yourself, I can't have something because, like sit, Mm -hmm. step into observer and say, what is that about? Like, where is that coming from? How is that story serving me on some level? Talk about some shadow work, right? Like, how is that dynamic serving me? You better believe I noticed my victim consciousness come up, like when somebody's been like a little mean to me and like my little, like my little, like water sign heart, like, it's, you know, and like, yeah. how could you, you know? And then I get to be resentful because they were the bad guy and I was the victim. Like, you better believe mm. that she comes up all the time trying to be like that, right? But again, it's like, how do I really want to be in field? Do I want to be in my power or do I want to hold on to the energy of situations so they keep coming back at me? Because that's what happens when you keep mm-hmm. holding on to it. You don't let that shit go, right? No, yeah. like I don't need, like resentment is also a huge key that you're in victim consciousness. When you feel like you have to do something for somebody else and therefore they have to do something for you, right? Like also big signal that there's a victim dynamic, right? Huge one. Like what level what purpose has that served you you know like why and I asked my I would ask myself like what about me gets a kick of being gets a kick off of being resentful like what part of me kind of feels relieved that maybe it's not up to me and I don't have to do it you know like like be really honest with yourself about like where and why that's coming from sorry if you're seeing this video I keep going down to push up my chair because my chair just like subtly sinks so if like I'm in different places in the video that's why (laughs) behind the scenes but yes learn from where it's coming up so that you can make because to me that's like that's like offering you the place where you have the biggest block between where you're at and what you want to get it's offering it to you on a silver platter. Like this is the belief in your own subconscious mind that if you shift is going to be like, like a, like a dam opening, right? Like this is your biggest place. That's going to help you like yeah. see this, learn from this, right? So learn about and observe where that is. Use the help of other people. Like this is one of the biggest things I'm doing in my coaching programs with people is like sometimes you need another person to help mirror back to you, even if you're willing, right? Like to be able to see your own stuff can be so hard sometimes. So use help. 
get a book that is like that leads through this right that's journal prompts or a book that explains this kind of stuff or a podcast or a group program or therapy or something like don't hesitate to get help because this can be a really big thing to kind of unravel and like it can be a lot easier if you have people who are supporting you and helping you to see all the places where maybe again there's a little bit of a disempowerment so you can step back into your full power baby you know All right, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode. I know this was a big, deep topic. And frankly, if you felt a little defensive, that's probably a good thing <laughs> because that kind of is showing where there's something there, where your ego is trying to protect a mechanism or a belief that feels a little threatened by the idea of you stepping into your full power. Because that's really what this is about. It's about reclaiming your full power. It's about you being able to shift those stories that we learn early on when we're young about how needs get met or if they get met or if we're worthy of getting them met or whatever stories we assign to that, to realizing not only are we worthy of all of our needs getting met, but we are capable of meeting them, period. And not not even just our needs, but all of our desires can be met too. Like that, like coming into that knowing, learning how to be in that energy, learning how to create that for ourselves is like the point, you know? Um, so it definitely would, would encourage you to consider this. Please let me know your thoughts send me a message, send me an email, whatever, uh, put a comment on the episode. Um, because we really feel like this is like a paradigm shift that's happening in the collective is for us to kind of get on the next level of us being fully tapped into our ability at source to be able to create our experience. And in order to do that, it feels like we need to have a little bit more awareness for the very human approach, um, of, of engaging in this dynamic. Um, Okay, for me personally, if you really vibe with this kind of content, if you vibe with this kind of approach, um, please subscribe to my email list because I send out little channeled messages to help with these kinds of things. I have a little like a mini energy activation. Um, visit my website to see what services are available. I think by the time this episode comes out, I will have launched a new group coaching program that is going to be about claiming and tapping into your power. So please check out my website for that. I'm very excited. I'm actually channeling about like exact content after this episode, but all of that will have already happened by the time you hear it. <laughs> so my website has all of the places I do single sessions too, where I channel the Akashic records or do energy healings and give you intuitive messages about your own healing or where you might have some blocks and be stuck all to help you live a life that's more soul aligned and step into your truth and leave feeling really good about you being able to take your life in your own hands. So if a single session is the way, check out the website for those. Or if you want to do more of a group program, that'll be available. Um, and then I'll also be opening up one-on-one -on -one coaching where I'm working like with you in the weeds over a period of time to really do this kind of stuff. Um, and then of course, my Instagram or TikTok. Instagram, probably the made one at Healing with Brie. Lots of cool content, card pulls, all of the fun stuff um, is where you can see all of the stuff that's channeling through through me um, and where I love to share it all with you guys. Megan, tell us, how can people work with you? How they can they stay connected with you? Give us the whole rundown. So you can find me on Instagram at I am Megan Zuzovich. You can also go to my website. Um, the new website that I have now is collectivereprocessing.com. So I will be transitioning from one-on-one -on -one work, one -on -one work, excuse me, into teaching 
master coaches, therapists, and other holistic practitioners who want to essentially learn how to traverse the unconscious using EMDR and um, Jungian depth psychology approach, how to integrate that into their practice. I will eventually be hosting group spaces for individuals who want to come do their own unconscious work. Um, in the meantime, you are welcome to go to the website and subscribe to the newsletter for uh, up-to-date information on all of that. I love that. And remember, you already have the podcast up in your podcast app. Please like, please subscribe if you haven't already. Please rate the podcast. That's so, so helpful. If you want to support small business, you want to support Breakthroughs with Brie to keep on powering through, to have incredible episodes like this, please rate it five stars. If you even are feeling generous, you want to leave a little review. Oh my God, I would love that. That would be so generous and it would be so welcome. Thank you everybody for listening. And I can't wait to see you for more Breakthroughs next week.